Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I am interviewing the Community Engagement Manager of Movable Feast. Please welcome Angie Kelly. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And I am so excited that this is going to be my first podcast. Well, this is this is what this podcast is for. So first is for bringing new people on, new conversations and community. That's what we're here to do. Yay. Okay. <laughs> I was padding there. That <laughs> your radio <laughs> turn. It's like, all right, how many steps do you have? No. Uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> I want to thank you again for, for coming onto the podcast and being able to make the time. And yeah, I think one of the things that I've kind of learned from reading about Movable Feast and some of the work there, community is a big thing. So I said that tongue in cheek, but also it's important. So I, I want to go into this conversation by leading off with those vital stats. Where are you from? How'd you get here? Uh, just what are the basics and what's the story behind Movable Feast? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Big stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so me personally, um, I've been in Baltimore for 16 years, uh, but I grew up as a military kid. So I'm I'm from all over the place, but um, Baltimore is the only other, it's the only place I've ever called home. Uh, and honestly, I think it's an easy place to call home. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, actually, when I, when we found out that we were having my three-year-old, uh, we were living in this third floor apartment in Bolton Hill that I loved so dearly. Um, but being on the third floor was not going to work for a pregnancy. So we decided to buy a house and just kind of jump the gun there. Um, and I fought very hard to stay in city lines. Uh, Cause I was just like, no, like I, I will never leave Baltimore. You can never make me leave Baltimore. Uh, and so now we are in Parkville, but like a block inside the city lines. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like, there's that Mars I hate so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've been with Movable Feast for six years as an employee, but I actually started as a volunteer two years prior to that. And I got involved by doing their Ride for the Feast, which is sure. their big annual bike ride, uh, where at the time people would ride their bikes for 140 miles. It was a two day event, so 100 miles on the first day. 40 miles on the second day yeah. and the whole idea was that everybody was raising funds for our medically tailored meal program and at mm -hmm. that time I had actually recently gotten sober and was looking for something positive to do with my time I was actually a, a bartender as well so I was a freshly sober bartender yeah. <laughs> which was like the real test right and I was like all right I made it through bartending sober like I got this absolutely um but I had my daytimes free so I started volunteering with them and I signed up for the bike ride and it was through that bike ride that I discovered my passion for fundraising yeah. um but then I just I learned so much about the history of HIV the devastating history of HIV and Movable Feast was such an incredible organization and like their mission is very succinct and and clear and everything that they do is driven by their mission but the people it was the people that supported Movable Feast that really drew me in and I was like my god like what a beautiful yeah. beautiful community um and it made me see how 
change can be created. Uh, you know, like I used to spend a lot of time during my drunken days just thinking about like all of the big things that I could do. And then yeah. I show up at Movable Feast and I was like, oh, like these things are actually tangible. Okay. Yeah, these are things right here. <laughs> yeah, so they're right here. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I volunteered there for a couple of years and and then I worked my way in. And then Movable Feast, what we do is we home deliver medically tailored meals to clients who are living at the intersection of food insecurity and chronic illness. So it is a, yeah. a very specific population of people. Um, and I, I love that this mission exists because, you know, there's a lot of places that address food insecurity. And then there are a lot of places that address things like chronic illness, you know, like yeah. you think of cancer, you think of like the Susan G. Komen Foundation. Uh, and we are where those things meet in the middle. And yeah. also uh, food insecurity it's not just living in poverty and not being able to afford food. There are so many things that contribute to somebody being food insecure. And I, I just, I, I really love the approach that Movable Feast takes to that, where there's like lack of transportation or living in a food desert or physically being unable to cook and care for yourself and everything that we provide for our clients has been catered to their dietary needs yeah. based off of you know what their health goals are and what they're in treatment for um and then we make their meals from there to help them um you know, be physically well while they are managing their illness. Um, right. So it helps them become physically stronger, uh, but also it's one less thing that they have to be stressed out about. Because um, I'm yeah. sure anybody who's listening, if you've ever had to manage an illness, even having a cold for a week, you're like, man, this sucks, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I didn't have any vitamin C today. What am I doing? <laughs> and I can attest to, to that from a, I guess, secondhand standpoint. Like I have a brother who he, he had a kidney transplant. And mm -hmm. so with the medications and all attached to that and just you don't have what your body normally have. It's not processing the way that it normally would process. So your mm -hmm. diet to process, let's say, protein is going to be different than it would have yep. been prior to surgery. So, yeah, being aware of that stuff is like, look, did you eat right today? What did you eat today? Yeah, fried chicken? Nah, I can't. Yeah, and, <clears> yeah. So how, how did you, and I think you touched on this, but how did you kind of really get into the that space, like maybe mentally or maybe through any experience of that the space between being a hunger and a health advocate? Um, was it kind of an early passion or was it something that as you started volunteering, what, what was that like? And um, did you have a background like growing up towards any version of advocacy? Like just, you know what, man, like you would you talk about the, hey, man, these are these great ideas I can do. But was it something more like rooted that you may have that really maybe sparked that idea initially? Yeah. And it, it wasn't specifically about food insecurity or illness at all. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was a, a kid, um, I find that oftentimes people that work in nonprofits or are motivated to I call them caretaker roles, right? Like I may not be taking care of a client specifically, but our actions are the actions of a caretaker. Like we are taking care of our community. And for a lot of people, you know, 
a lot of us have traumatic backgrounds, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so like I grew up, my family was very, very poor. When I was a kid, there was a lot of different versions of abuse and trauma. And one of the ways that I coped with that trauma was to get lost in books. And I would just read all day, every day I kept to myself. And I just read so many books. And I attribute the sense of empathy that I developed because I read so many different books, you know, like it, th those books put you in the mind of other people experiencing different things than you. And I think that from a young age, it helped me develop a, a wide variety of perspectives uh, sure. about just like how other people experience the world. And, you know, it's not just how I experience, right? Like everybody experiences it differently. And then second to that, um, I had a really wonderful counselor uh, who supported me so much as a child. And you don't forget the impact that those people had on you. And when I found my space or when I found myself in a space of healing as an adult, as I healed my capacity to help other people grew. Yeah. Yeah. And, sense, um, yeah. Yeah. And so um, I always knew, and, and these were those like drunk dreams that I was talking about where it's like, I just, I knew that I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what, and right. something that I've realized working at Movable Feast, and this was a, a place that I was trapped in for so long, is that we often think that we have to make these really big grand gestures to make a change, but it really is just uh, those those small everyday mm -hmm. things that you can do they add up over time and when everybody is taking part in it like that's where the really big grand changes come from i agree yeah. i agree i think um i see it not necessarily from a philanthropic kind of standpoint or a fundraising standpoint but a even if something as small as hey i'm going to post this podcast or what have you and this mm -hmm. podcast is really about stuff that's happening in baltimore that i don't think gets enough attention and so yeah. on and <laughs> You know, sometimes getting people to share or to repost or to engage with is something as simple as that. It really costs you nothing. It costs you a few seconds. Mm -hmm. Hey, like this, share this with someone that might that might take some interest in it. Hey, this is good. Nah, just it's it's kind of kind of that. But some of these people have these grand designs of I can change the world. I can solve hunger. No, start with something small. Start with awareness. Right. Start with <laughs> you know. And it's 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 really odd sometimes. And um. And I think it's mm, this is controversial, but I think sometimes it's an excuse for folks to not to not act, to procrastinate. Uh, yeah. The problem's too big. It's it's just too big. It's like then why are you trying to address it? Look for something smaller. Right, right, yeah. I I don't know. I think maybe for a, a long time. I I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I think maybe for some degree, I it was for me. It was about I had like I had something to prove. Yeah. Right. Like that's at least like for me, like I think that's what that feeling came back to was like, I need to prove that I am worthy. I need to prove that I can do something. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually I had just written this thing about New Year's resolutions and because people really go big on New Year's resolutions. Right. And they're just they like, again, big, big, grand sweeping changes. And they're just like, this is going to be the year that I pay off my car and I work out every single day and I'm only going to eat spinach for breakfast. Right. Um, Good luck with that. <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to work out, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what I have found, at least from my own experience, is that 
you know, when we, when we are really ready to do something, we will do it. Mm-hmm. And if we're not doing the thing that we actually need, actually doing the thing that is right for us, that's going to be a big block in mm-hmm. achieving whatever that thing is. But we also probably have an emotional clearing that we need to do first. You know, yep. there's some kind of emotional thing that we need to clear first that is preventing us from being ready from doing the thing that we were trying to do. And I, I feel like this relates to what you were just saying about how maybe people use it as an excuse to procrastinate yeah. because people don't like it's hard to do those emotional clearings. Right. And to like yeah. address the things that are actually preventing you from moving forward and making positive changes either within yourself or within the community around you. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I look at things from a very root cause kind of kind of standpoint. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a little too logically in, inclined, but it's like, all right, mm-hmm. you're framing whatever the issue is. Is natural. I'm a problem solver, and it's framed like this is the problem, and you're attached to this problem that has an emotional component to it. There's an emotional payoff. It's emotionally draining. Something emotionally is there, and mm-hmm. it just spider sense goes off for me. And I'm like, that's not the root cause, though. There's something else that's that's really driving this. Like, I'm unhappy at work, or I'm unhappy doing this. Which, what what about it makes you unhappy? Oh, people are jerks there. Oh, you're not making enough money. Like that seems to be more of the issue because if those change, you'd be happier at at work. Or yeah. Have, <laughs> yeah. Everything just sucks. <laughs> it's like you're making the issue bigger than what it is, and it feels insurmountable. But yeah. Um, uh, well, what I want to say is that because yeah. um, there there was another part to your question, uh, yeah. the the thing that really pulled me into Movable Feast um, was not the food insecurity and the chronic illness, uh, but the idea that nobody should be alone regardless of circumstance. And when Movable Feast started in 1989, it was directly in response to the AIDS crisis of yeah. the 80s uh, when the government wasn't really responding. Right. People were dying everywhere. I mean, to contract AIDS in the 80s was a death sentence. And yeah. there was a huge, heavy stigma around it because people didn't know how it was transferring from person to person. And its its original name was actually GRID, which is gay-related immune deficiency. And so that gives you a look into... Um, the misinformation that was spreading around. Even there was the story, uh, if you get a chance, look up uh, Ruth Coker. Oh, shoot, I'm forgetting her last name right now. But she she was this huge advocate for people living with AIDS in the 80s. And she was visiting her friend with cancer in the hospital. And when she had gone into the hospital, there was like this door that had like these huge red letters that said like, do not enter. And she knew what it was before she really knew what it was. And she saw a group of nurses standing outside of this hospital door, drawing straws to see who had to go in to treat the patient. And it's very, I just hearing those stories make me cry. It's just, you know, these people on their deathbed all alone, completely alone. Um, but so Movable Feast, you know, we are one of many, many organizations that popped up during this time period because what happens when the government doesn't respond, communities rise up. Right. And we we find it might not be the right answer, but we are just searching for any answer, anything to 
address it. Um, and so that's what Movable Fees, we were started by a group of volunteers who saw people in Baltimore suffering. And one of the great ways to take care of people when they're suffering is to make them food, right? It's, like it's, that's one of the ways that we respond. It's a language of love. It's a, it, mm -hmm. it's a it's a means of communication. It's a means of community. Once breaking bread, uh, yeah, and yeah, those those things connect. So so speak on on this. The significance of it being here. The having those tenets of you know feed people, fight disease, foster hope are are those pillars. But speak on how they are connected specifically here in Baltimore because every city has its different things. And as much as I try to normalize Baltimore as being um, similar to any city, but it's unique too. So how is that landscape here in, in terms of what Movable Feast's works looks like and what their aim is with the specific kind of like issues that are, are here within Baltimore in terms of disease or in terms of uh, food insecurity and people being alone and not having that community? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you can imagine uh perhaps what this looked like for our clients during the pandemic. Our clients are severely immunocompromised and before vaccines were available, uh, once again, before we really understood how this illness was being transmitted from person to person, uh, there were there was so much fear. And for most of our clients, we were the only place that they could turn to. And a lot of clients were calling us just to hear some reassurance that we were still here. And that sure. we were still available and that we were going to continue to still be available to them. But what I would say the real significance really is around HIV. Yeah. Um, you know, we serve a lot of different illnesses now, but our roots, like we started in response to the HIV crisis. Right. And it is not that long ago that that happened. We have been around for 32 going on 33 years. Mm -hmm. I am older than Movable Feast. Okay. So same, like, same, yes. same. <laughs> <laughs> um, not by much, but I am older than Movable Feast. So like it, it really wasn't that long ago. And, you know, we still have an HIV crisis in Baltimore city. We still mm -hmm. have an HIV crisis in Baltimore city. And, for so many reasons, right? Especially yeah. with intravenous drug use, like that is such a big one. And the thing is, is like, until those other systemic issues get addressed, movable feast will continue to be needed. And mm -hmm. so something that we've started doing is we, um, you know, we have advocacy programs now. Um, I'm not a part of the advocacy program, but our client services department, like they do some advocacy on behalf of our clients um, to, we want services like these to be covered by insurance. Right now they're not covered by insurance. They're just covered by the donations and the grants that we receive right. from people. But we want this to be recognized as medically necessary. Um, mm -hmm. So like it, it's, it's helping people's physical health. It's preventing clients from like physically relapsing with their illness, but we also want to do prevention care. And I yeah. really think that's where the advocacy piece is going to come in um, because this is so much bigger than providing food yeah. to clients. It's like, as long as these issues in Baltimore city still exist, movable feast will continue to exist. But I would love to get to a place where our services aren't needed as much because then people just have what they need. Yeah. I mean, like 
where so when Baltimore has the the racial, the social, the health mm-hmm. equity issues yep. to call them out as to what they are and you know, movable fees, like it's it's ironic, right? Where like on my morning walk, I pass movable fees in the morning. Do However, you really? I do. I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been uh-huh. in our kitchen yet, young man? I, I've not had the opportunity. <laughs> but but, it, but it's it's interesting where there. I always joke about when you come to East Baltimore, you see more canes, you see more people with different you know health needs, mm-hmm. and then it's also a food desert over here. You know, Huge food desert. We lost it, a grocery store in 2021. Uh huh. Wait, uh-huh. East Baltimore cannot afford to lose grocery stores. And, you know, there, there's, and the ones that are over here in this kind of zip code, there were two save a lots and mm-hmm. now down as one. And yep. the other save a lots of city trends. So I don't, I don't need sneakers. I need like, you know, rhubarb or whatever. And it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of weird when you have, the medical hub over here. There are residents, there are doctors that mm-hmm. work in this area and they're servicing these, these people who are going into the hospital with these different ailments. And it needs a place like movable fees to kind of serve some of the folks that have these different things that are kind of being these different health issues that are kind of being amplified by the lack of fresh food, fresh groceries, things of that nature mm-hmm. that are just right there. People go grocery shopping at Walgreens. It's insane. Yeah. Well, so it's crazy because so we in addition to our medically tailored meals, we also send out yeah. fresh produce to everybody every single week. Yeah. And this was a few years ago uh, where we had sent out zucchini to all of our clients. And we had a lot of phone calls from clients being like, I don't know what you want me to do with this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so something that, so a very, a very good thing came out of that and that our, our dietitians were like, okay, so if we're going to be sending out produce to clients, we know that our clients have limited kitchen appliances and we also know that there may be very limited education around how to cook and prepare fresh produce. So now there's a lot more one-on-one working with our clients. Like we were always doing home visits with our clients. Of course, that hasn't happened since the pandemic. But there's a lot of one-on-one work with our clients, providing two to three ingredient recipes that clients can use at home with limited appliances and limited available ingredients. Uh, and it, it made sense to me and it had not occurred to me prior to that moment that like, oh my gosh, if you have grown up in a food desert yeah. where you're doing things like grocery shopping at Walgreens, who I highly doubt is selling zucchini. They are not. <laughs> of course, when you get your produce bag, you're going to be like, what is this? I don't. What 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 do you want? What do you want for me? I have I, enough there, challenges. Why are you giving me zucchini? There there have been a few instances where I'll go to the market, and I remember back in the day where you'd go to like oh. a uh, like a Safeway or something, they have those little recipe cards, and it's like, oh, I can do something interesting with this, or even those websites to say, hey, I have these three ingredients. What can I make with it? Here are some mm-hmm. suggestions. But not everyone is going to look up that stuff or have that stuff available, and so on, and. You know, I'd like the convenience of like one of the things I wanted to do is add more protein in my diet. And mm-hmm. so I started doing like meal kits, but specifically catered to the 
higher protein and drinking the protein shakes and things of that nature. But I can imagine someone who has like a, a beauty compromise that they're like, hey, I need vegetables. How do I make these? Mm-hmm. You can't just say, here's a here's a juicer, you know, here, just drink right. this. It's like, no, it's you need to actually get these vegetables and or get these different pieces of uh, these different foods. But in a way that one, you can do it and replicate it and now make for a mm-hmm. change as opposed to. Yeah, pre-make this. I'm just going to eat this. No, you know, here's this box. Break this down. Break this zucchini down. Break this squash down. Yeah. Get some kale. (laughs) And like food, like the food accessibility, it's not just about dropping off produce. But I I think there's also an element of emotional accessibility, Uh, something that we have started incorporating more with working with our clients is trauma-informed care Mm. and really understanding where our clients are emotionally and that when you are possibly living in isolation and you have to deal with our wreck of a medical system, right? And maybe you live in a food desert, maybe you don't have transportation. Like there are so many obstacles that you are living in a constant state of trauma that, um, you know, if, if one more thing goes wrong or is perceived as going wrong, then there's a complete breakdown of your emotional system, right? And so I think that by doing things like talking to our clients more one-on-one, providing these very short, easy recipes is another way of making food emotionally accessible. So it's not overwhelming and a client doesn't say, oh God, I have one more thing that I have to think about and figure out for myself right now. A lot of our clients may not have that emotional capacity to do that research, look up recipes, figure out how to do this for themselves. That's true. Like um, my my partner talks about it all the time where, you know, she and I, we're we're both, we we live in separate households, but uh, she talks about how like, look, I'm just going to order in and and having, (laughs) but but having that, just not having the capacity to Mm -hmm. do it with all of the other things that are happening in the course of a day. And that's from someone who may not have a physical thing presenting itself, who doesn't have any of these other traumas that's in a I'm in this okay spot right now. I kind of got a good job. I'm able to work remote and all of this. Like, ugh, yeah. long day. Where's that pizza that I ordered? You know, I'm not going right. to sit here and actually make a really healthy meal or, or sit here and spend the time to make a meal. So it's it's just something that we do naturally. And I think when there's more hurdles in front of you, it just leads to that kind of cycle. Yeah. And, I mean, I yeah. have a three-year-old at home and I worked part of the pandemic without childcare. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I'm not cooking anything. <laughs> like, where's that? Where's that ramen? You know? I need French fries right now. Stat. Yeah. So I got, I got, I got one more question before I get to some rapid fire ones, and okay. then we'll be wrapping up. Uh, so one of the things I noticed on the website, there are huge numbers of the impact from uh from movable feasts. Nearly 500,000 meals served, over 31,000 produce bags delivered. What are some of the successes and challenges? Um, that Movable Feast has had, and um, how can listeners help with the mission ultimately? Oh, there are, see, there are so many ways to help. There is something for everybody. Uh, so I'm going to say the number one way is if you can volunteer. We are really struggling right now with volunteers because of COVID, and we 
our numbers are going to be bigger for 2021 whenever we get those numbers together because we are now serving over 800 clients, which is about 150 more than we were serving in 2020. Um, So the last time I checked, we were busting out about 31,000 meals a month, but I think that was before we increased to 800 clients. These are all prepared and packaged in our kitchen. And we have like five kitchen staff. So we really need volunteers to come in to help prep this food, to help portion it out into the trays, to bag up the produce. Uh, it, It takes many people to get these meals out to clients on time. Uh, So that is the number one way that I'm going to ask people to help right now. Now, I know that a lot of people may not feel comfortable because of COVID. um, And of course, even for the whole two weeks that Baltimore City lifted their mask mandate, we never stopped because we have immunocompromised clients. And also we cannot afford to have our staff be sick right now. No. Uh, <laughs> and you can also be a delivery driver and you can be a person that delivers meals directly for our clients. And, you know, our clients really love having that interaction and you always have the same set of clients every single week. So you build this really beautiful relationship over time. Um, and, you know, you become a a security, a form of security for our clients, knowing that like you're going to be the person bringing their meals every week. And then of course, nonprofit, you can always donate. Like I said, uh, we do not get like reimbursements for insurance or anything like that. We do get some state funding, but the majority of our funding comes from our fundraisers, individual donations, sponsorships, grants, anything like that. Um, Most of our donations go towards our medically tailored meal programs. And those that's information that you can see reflected in our annual report. Uh, but then also just talking to people about our mission. I mean, most of the volunteers and donors that we get come from word of mouth. And that's something that makes me feel really good about Movable Feast reputation in our community, that when I was the volunteer coordinator, I so rarely had to do recruiting because so many other people were out there talking about our organization that I was like, well, y'all just keep going on ahead doing my job. Thank you. <laughs> y'all got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, they have it, folks. That's how you can can help out. And, you know, there, there are different challenges and different successes and the fact that been around for over 30 years and doing the good work that's out there. So that's, that's great to hear. And definitely folks volunteer support, support however you can. There's large things that you can do, but there are a lot of smaller things you can do. Can you know, smaller things. Those yeah. are the ones you can actually do. You have three and a half hours on a Monday morning. Come on in. If that's Come all you up. got, there are volunteers that we only see once a year for our annual Thanksgiving morning delivery drivers but that's the day that their family can do it. And I have been seeing some of these same families for the past six years. And it's always like a mini reunion. So what I'm saying is like, if that's what you've got, that's what you've got. We welcome you no matter where you are. The drips and drops count. All right. So I have uh, rapid fire questions. I have five of them. (laughs) Okay. These make me nervous. Okay. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Uh, So the way that these work are, and answer this, answer them with brevity. You don't need to provide any extra context. It's like, look, okay. the answer is the answer. See, the Gemini in me is just like, what do you, what do you mean you want me to talk less? <laughs> oh, you're an air sign as well? I'm, a, oh, I'm yeah. Aquarius. I'm an Aquarius. <laughs> okay. All right. I got it. All right. My, bro- my brother's a Gemini, so I get y'all. Uh, what do you enjoy most about your work? The volunteers. Uh, what is your favorite place to get a bite in Baltimore? Tapas Teatro. 
You get it. Uh, what is your most marked characteristic? My most marked characteristic? Yeah. Silliness. That's, that's great. Yes. Define community. Uh, people meeting each other where they are. Lastly, and I put this one in there not too long ago because you were talking about it. Uh, what's your favorite book that you've recently read? Burnout. Okay. Burn right. out. Everybody read it. So there you have it. Um, see, off the hot seat. See, that was easy. Simple. Done. No, no burns, nothing. See, with these quick fire questions, I'm just like, what if there's something deep and dark hiding in my subconscious that I don't know about that's going to suddenly come out? And then I'm going to go, oh, God, what did I just say? That's why I do it. Do it to kind of troll people towards the end. It's like, yeah, gotcha. I'm out of here. And then now into I'm the shadows. Share your secret with the world. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the, that's the whole purpose of the podcast. Uh, so last thing I want to have you do is one, once again, um, I want to invite you to shamelessly plug, um, movable feast, anything that you really want to hit on in the last like few minutes we have here. And again, thank you for being on this podcast. Thank you for inviting us to be on this podcast, totally. uh, especially because we really need the help with the volunteer <laughs> recruitment right now. Um, I do want to talk about Ride for the Feast because that is actually coming up in May. And like I mentioned, that was how I first got involved with Movable Feast. It's no longer a two-day event. It's not 140 miles anymore because one of the really big things that we've been working on at Movable Feast has been equity and mm. building equity into all facets of our organization. And so what we've done with Ride for the Feast is now we have transformed it to a one-day event. And there are three different routes that you can choose from. So you can ride 100 miles, 69 miles, or 42 miles. But we also have a virtual option as well. Uh, since I organize Ride for the Feast, I cannot actually do the ride. So I'm doing the virtual option. And so, for example, I've pledged to run a total of 100 miles by the time the event happens. Uh, but the whole point is that we're raising funds for the organization. And with Ride for the Feast, 100% of what the riders raise goes towards our clients' programs and services. It does not go to any other part of the organization. It just goes towards our medical transportation, our medically tailored meals, the produce, the supplements. It goes towards all of that. And that's one of the great things about the fundraisers. Um, about this specific fundraiser is that you know exactly where the money that you're donating is going to. We have a pretty hefty goal of 800000 um, With everything that's going on with COVID right now, I, of course, once again, don't know what's going to happen, uh, but it doesn't take place until May 21st, so there's a ton of time to fundraise. Uh, so if you want to donate to Ride for the Feast or if you're feeling brave and like you want to try something new, I cannot encourage you enough to sign up because it at least i can say that ride for the feast changed my life for the better and it was literally the thing that put me on the path to eventually work at movable feast and it's a really just beautiful fun event um that there's nothing else like it that's great and where can the fine folks check out movable feast ig uh, website what are those two yeah, so the website, mfeast.org. And then on Instagram, we are mfeastbemore. Definitely check out our Instagram. I am, we just hired a communications manager, so I am finally going to be giving up my temporary role of social media. But um, I 
keep your eye on the stories because they post a lot of really silly boomerangs of volunteers doing things like juggling chicken cutlets. Uh, that's, that's, that's about right. That's about right. Yep, that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> and then of course on Facebook where M feast be more, if people still use Facebook, I hear the young kids don't. So yeah, I don't think they use the Facebook anymore. Yeah, we, we are. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you have it folks. Um, I want to thank you, Angie, for coming on to the podcast. This was great. So, for um, Angie Kelly of Movable Feast, I am Rob Lee saying that there is community in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Mm-hmm.